When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert, and tonight I am on with Dr. Millicent Ravello on a holiday Zoom call from Orange County to Los Angeles. How are you doing, Dr. Ravello? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Not too bad. I'm enjoying the holiday season, and uh, I understand that you had a very successful uh, trip to see the family. All went well. I did. I had about four days with my family in Louisiana, and then I hopped on a plane last night and did a big case today, and I'm right back in the saddle. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I, I just couldn't do that. I needed some time off. It was it was rough. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was a little rough. I mean, I have literally been operating, and so have you, since the reopening in May of 2020. Yes, nonstop. non stop. Yeah. Right. Right. I keep thinking there's going to be a break coming, but there isn't. In fact, our break to the MCAS meeting in Paris is now put off till June. I am. I I can't really even talk about that because I'm so upset. So we were supposed to go to a meeting in April of 2020 in Bergamo and that was canceled. And then we were set up to go to this Paris meeting in January of 2021, and it was all signs go, and then Omicron. And now it's also canceled. I mean, I get it. I understand, but I don't, because I also think that this Omicron thing is the last gasp of the coronavirus trying to grip our world. I think it's on its way out. No, I agree. And I think most medical experts are sort of of that vein as well. Um, it just sucks. Like it's really hard to plan travel, especially to Europe. And that's part of the reason that this in-cast meeting was canceled is because it's an international meeting and so many countries are having issues right now with travel and restrictions. And it just, it was not a good time for it, but Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm hoping that this is, in fact, its last gasp and we're going to not hear anything more going forward. I, I, I hope so, too. But that's so. not what we're here to talk about tonight. No, we, not at all. Not even tonight, close. we're here to talk about nutrition in the pre-op and post-operative periods of plastic surgery operations. Yes, it seems like a rather... Uh, dull topic, but I, I mean, it's actually something that I know both you and I get all the time. Like patients ask me all the time. So what should I eat in preparation for surgery? What should I eat after surgery? Usually it's the family actually that asks, what should I feed them? Like with the people that are taking care of them after Mm -hmm. surgery, but the patients in the pre-op always ask me, so should I eat anything special before surgery? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it, it seems to be pretty straightforward, but at the same time, I guess it's not 
and especially operation to operation, I do have recommendations for people. Yeah, no, and it, you were correct. It does seem like it should be a fairly straightforward answer. But then once I start talking to them, I'm like, well, actually, maybe you should do this. Oh, well, you know what? Actually, maybe you should do this. So yeah, it, it deserves its own podcast. So I think one of the ones that obviously something I do a lot is rhinoplasty. And I, and I don't really have a whole lot of specific recommendations for that operations, you know, in and of itself. Same with facelifting. The the facial operations don't have a whole lot of do this or do that. What I would tell patients is the day before surgery, I wouldn't eat a lot of heavy foods. And I would yeah. say this for any operation. Any right? any sir, any surgery where you're going to have general anesthesia. If whether you can it's do liquids a, the day before, that would be ideal. I think that's kind of the way to go. Yeah. You know, um, if you can just go with like a smoothie and like some easy stuff because you know, the reality is you're going to take narcotics and you're going to get narcotic medications during surgery that are going to stop up your bowels, yes. period. Yes. And even if you don't take narcotics afterwards, even if you request and you know have an anesthesiologist that does not give you many narcotics, and a lot of ours really don't Correct. give narcotics during surgery, just the general anesthetics that you're going to get during surgery will absolutely slow down your bowels for a couple of days, even if you are not on any narcotics afterwards. And so having a giant hamburger in your small intestine, not the best idea for a couple of days. It's not going to be great. So yeah, the, the cleaner that you can keep your diet and the lighter you can keep your diet like the day before. I mean, you don't have to go on a juice cleanse. And in fact, I would discourage a week-long juice cleanse before surgery. But certainly that day before, it helps to go a little bit light. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, you're going to get those medications. And so you don't want to have like a very heavy filled up belly. And, and certainly with an abdominoplasty, I tell my patients, do clear liquids for a day, maybe two days. If you can just do anything you can see through that's liquid you're going to have a much better time after surgery. And quite honestly, for us, we're going to have an easier time doing their surgery, placating their abdominal muscles, taking out the skin and getting things to be as tight as they want it. Because they want it tight. <laughs> they want it really tight. Yeah. We don't want oh, any yeah. swollen bowels in there. Um, is it going to hurt, you know, you're at the end result of your operation. If, if you're not cleansed out before, no, absolutely not. You will still get the same end result, um, but it really is just a matter of comfort for you postoperatively. Exactly. And that's the whole thing. You want it to be easy. You want to make these as easy as possible. And so in, in terms of specific operations, abdominal operations, liposuction, anything where you're going to wind up you know, causing pain and some spasms of the muscles of the abdomen, less is more for sure. For sure. Um, and then the other thing people always want to know is if there's any special diet or vitamins or nutrition or protein or anything they should take beforehand. Um, and there really isn't, I kind of just say use common sense. Um, this is not the time to go on some fad diet no. or juice cleanse or anything crazy in an attempt to drop weight before surgery. I actually want you coming into surgery at whatever your normal healthy weight is, because the last thing I want is you coming in dehydrated 
or undernutrition because you've been doing some crazy fad diet trying to get skinny before surgery. So I want your nutrition levels to be healthy. I want you to have a healthy protein intake because you need that protein to be able to heal, especially if I'm doing a big body surgery where you have scars all the way around your belly, you need to be able to heal these big incisions. And to do that, you need adequate protein intake. So I, I mean, I say use common sense and I, I, I hope people know what that means, but it just means eat a healthy, sensible diet with adequate protein and don't starve yourself before surgery. Dr. Ravello. <laughs> common sense. I have the, really? the, the highest of hopes for my patients. <laughs> really? Do you? <laughs> Fair. Okay. Fair. I'm just saying. <laughs> because that's why we're doing this podcast because people don't know. They literally look to us and say, should I have, you know, a milkshake? Should I have a, you know, fruit salad? Should I eat a steak? And the truth is that they really don't know. And that's, that's not, it's not out of bounds for them to not know because they don't have surgery every day. They don't know. So I guess if you need a step-by-step playbook, I would say the few weeks leading up before surgery eat a healthy, balanced diet, get plenty of protein, eat your fruits and veggies, don't go on any fad diets or juice cleanses. And then the day or two before your surgery, take it really light, eat salads, maybe some juices, some smoothies, something that's nice and easy to digest, some soup, something like that. I don't think patients need to take any special vitamins or supplements. In fact, I would prefer my patients be off all of those supplements because a lot of them can lead to bleeding and post-operative bruising. So if you're on any crazy amount of supplements, I actually say just stop that like a week or two before surgery. A hundred percent, because a lot of those supplements have, you know, herbal issues that, you know, a lot of these herbal supplements are platelet inhibitors. And so you can get more bruising and more bleeding than you would normally get if you're taking things with St. John's Ward, saw palmetto, um, a lot of vitamin E, fish oil, uh, turmeric. These are things that cause bleeding and it's not, it's not optimal. Um, The truth is if you're really going to try to enhance wound healing, it takes a lot of supplements, like a lot of zinc and a lot of calcium and magnesium and a lot of vitamin D and vitamin C. And, you know, the thing is, is that that's not exactly what your gut is used to and can cause a lot of problems. Yeah. So the amounts that you would have to take and the amount of time you need to take them before surgery, they're not realistic. And, you know, I had this patient who had had, I want to say at least three previous breast surgeries before she got to me, she was a breast reconstruction patient. And after every single surgery. She had a hematoma day two or day three, which is a giant bleed and collection of blood around her implant every single time. And then she gets to me for her fourth surgery. And she's like, do you think I'm going to have any bleeding issues? (laughs) She's like, oh, and by the way, should I stop any of these supplements that I'm taking? I'm like, well, let me see what you're taking. And she hands me an entire page of supplements and vitamins that she was taking like on and on and on. And, and I'm kidding the garlic and the vitamin E and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I don't know what 90% of these are, but I'm going to tell you to stop taking all of them now. Guess what? No bleed. A hundred percent. And that's Dang. the thing is patients, you know, think that, listen, I love supplements too. Cause I take a bunch of them, but they're not great for surgery. 
And that is the take home message. Like those supplements are fine in terms of a dietary approach, but the, the, the effects that they have on, on clotting and the, the platelets and the way that you bruise and bleed after surgery, which are problems, if they're extensive, you, you don't need it. And, and you have to hold off on those supplements. A big one is vitamin E. People ask me about that all the time. The vitamin E that's in a multivitamin is usually 30 or 40 international units. Not, not significant. If you're taking a thousand international units, it is significant and you can't do that. Yeah. Agree. The only thing that I suggest taking beforehand, um, if anything, would be some Arnica. So Arnica is something you can get in a cream form. You can also get in a pill form. And it does, I, I think, maybe have some benefit in post-operative bruising. I know it doesn't hurt. So if anything, I would say maybe take Arnica a couple of days before surgery and for a few days after. Yeah, I, you know, so I did a little experiment with that. Because I started the Arnica and the bromelain thing with my patients when I was a resident. And if you remember when that was, that was back before the wheel was invented. And so I would give patients bromelain and Arnica. And in 2004, I, I think it was around March or April, one of the patients said, you know, you're going to have a problem. There's going to be an issue with this bromelain and Arnica thing. There's no science behind it. You shouldn't be doing it. And I went, huh, well, I don't really know why I do this, but it seems to help. But, you know, you're right. There is no science behind it. So I'll just stop giving it to my patients. My next five rhinoplasty patients looked like the Incredible Hulk came into their house, pulled them out of bed and beat their face (laughs) into the ground for hours on end. And then I said, you know what? I think I'm going to keep using that bromelain and Arnica. And sure enough, it changed the game. So I do believe based on that totally 100% (laughs) anecdotal evidence. Underpowered study. (laughs) But I I mean, I couldn't take it. I like was watching my patients. They looked like somebody and it's the same guy doing the same operation the same way that I had been for no less than a decade. I mean, truly. So there I am looking at these patients going like, oh my God, they 100% need this bromelain and Arnica. And I have never looked back. Every one of my patients gets it. So there you go. Take your Arnica. I mean, do we need to do a study on that? Do we need a placebo controlled double blinded study to tell that bromelain and Arnica makes a, makes a difference? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want to go through that. I'm sure there is some study out there. I'm sure we could find it. There has to be. There are studies on like saw palmetto, which is by the way, yeah, for your male are. patients, a lot of patients take saw palmetto for their uh, prostate yeah. hypertrophy. Man, does that make you bleed? Mm-hmm. Yep. Man, yeah. does that make you bleed? And I think we do have some studies that show that. So that is a legit one to start. There are case reports. There are studies, all kinds of stuff. And, that, and, and there are more about St. John's Ward, all these other supplements that we just don't want our patients on while we're doing surgery on them. So that covers the pre-op. So that's, you know, what to eat before. And then the what to eat after, like I said, is usually the caretaker that's asking me, you know, oh, so we just finished surgery. Patient did fine. She's going to be great. Take her home tonight. Do this, do that. Well, what should I feed them? What can she eat? And again, this is probably where I should be more specific, but I'm usually like, yeah, whatever she feels like, it's the, she'll tell you. Cause, but I do think that that's true. The patient will most likely tell you what they feel ready to eat. 
it is an unusual patient who will come out of surgery and be like, Hmm, I want to have a hamburger. You know, like their stomach and their body will tell them I want some ice cream or I want some juice. Like usually the, the stomach knows what they want to eat. And most patients after general anesthesia actually aren't that hungry for a couple of days. And that's very, no. very common. They're like, I still have much of an appetite. I'm like, that's okay. Like you're going to eat whatever your body tells you it should eat. So because you're not eating that much, I would say that whatever you do eat, make sure it has a high nutritional content. So even though I encourage ice cream in general, you know, don't eat all ice cream, you know, make sure that you have, or eat the protein ice cream, but like eat something that has nutritional value to it. And that feels good on your stomach. Um, And don't just eat a bunch of empty calories because you're not going to be taking in that much right after surgery. Although I will say I did, I did surgery on one of my best friends a couple of years ago and I went to go see her the night after surgery. She was staying in a hotel. And the first thing she said, like three hours after like a big surgery, she was like, I'm ordering pizza. Do you want some? Guess <laughs> we're having pizza. I mean, she- that's amazing because you just don't yeah. think that people are going to have their appetite right after surgery. They, and they typically don't. And they typically don't. This was an aberrant one, but the, her body said she wanted pizza and she tolerated it. So it was fine. So in general, you know, do what seems right. And what the patient wants, what this, the stomach is saying, it feels like it can tolerate and make sure that it has a nice, you know, nutritional high caloric content to it. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it is okay to take like some zinc, some vitamin C and all that stuff. I mean, I, I guess if you want to stack the cards in your favor, you certainly can, but I, I, I really believe that you know, people that are kind of going along and doing well on their own should just keep going along and doing well on their own. They shouldn't really change things for surgery because it can throw a wrench in the system. Right. No, a thousand percent agree. Um, So I think, yeah, I mean, I know I keep saying this, use common sense, but, but a lot of times it is like, don't, don't go crazy and do something completely different and aberrant than what you are already doing, unless you have a trash diet to start out with, in which case, like, do better. Well, let's also look at your weight loss population though, because this is a, this is a, I mean, I can tell you some stories uh, that I probably shouldn't tell about sort of patients really having a hard time with certain weight loss operations. Now, a lot of them aren't done anymore. Yeah. Uh, Duodenal switch, for instance, no, I mean, this operation <laughs> is basically where you hook your stomach to your colon. To your rectum, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's like there is no absorption whatsoever. These patients have massive nutritional problems right. and massive fluid deficits. And I, I don't know anybody who would recommend or do that operation anymore. But of course, since I was in the early era of weight loss operations, the, the duodenal switch was a common operation. Yeah. And it's certainly not done anymore. I think the most common ones that we see now are, are standard gastric bypass or gastric sleeves. Sleeve that, and bypass. That's it. Sleeve and bypass. So the sleeve patients, they don't have as much of a nutritional deficiency no. because their weight loss mechanism is more restrictive. They have a smaller stomach, a smaller capacity, as opposed to the bypass patients, which have a restrictive component and a smaller capacity, as well as decreased absorption. And I will say that I where I practice um, in Whittier, we have a big bariatric program and I'm spoiled because the bariatric program does all of the nutritional monitoring. And every six months, my patients have their labs and their nutrition values checked. So it's kind of brainless for me. I don't have to think too much about it. But if I have a patient 
that is coming from somewhere outside that program and that has not been followed by a bariatric or a nutrition uh, counselor, then I do have to make sure that I check their nutritional labs myself because they, be, they could be completely out of whack if they have any kind of absorption or, or malnutrition issues. And so that definitely has to be checked. What I see typically, even in my patients that are followed pretty regularly in the bariatric program, the most common deficiency that I usually see is an iron deficiency or vitamin B deficiency. And that's an issue for surgery because if you start with a low hemoglobin level because you're iron deficient, and then you have a lot of bleeding from a big surgery, you have a higher risk of maybe needing a transfusion afterwards. So I have on occasion, I think maybe a handful of times, canceled or rescheduled a surgery because on the patient's pre-op labs, they were noted to be more anemic than I would like uh, due to an iron or a vitamin B deficiency. And that's why they have to get transfused and get their levels up higher, not transfused with blood, but an iron transfusion or a vitamin B12 transfusion to rebuild their blood supply stores before they can go to surgery. Yeah. I mean, that that's reality. I mean, these, these weight loss uh, patients are a nutritional uh, hazard for surgery. And you have to be aware of that before you take them and do what I call maximally invasive surgery. Maximally invasive. It it's is true. It is. I mean, we're taking off big amounts of skin and fat. I mean, today I took off 10 pounds from a patient combined with liposuction and fluid shifts. So the body is going through some big hemodynamic changes postoperatively. And they have to be able to tolerate that from a nutrition standpoint, from a fluid standpoint. For the most part, they can, they're fine. Um, There are some patients that for whatever reason, after their bypass, just have horrible absorption. I actually had one patient who was so malnutritioned after, after her bariatric surgery that she had to go on basically permanent TPN, like IV nutrition because she couldn't absorb anything through her gut. And they actually got her pretty healthy. She went to surgery with me on TPN on IV nutrition because she needed to have a skin surgery and she did great because she was on IV nutrition, <laughs> like was getting all of the vitamins she needed and, and the fluid, but that's a very, 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 very rare circumstance. Um, most of these patients, especially if they're being monitored closely in a bariatric program, are having their vitamins and nutrition needs addressed. Yeah. I mean, those are the cases that you have to be careful with. I mean, that's for sure because, you know, these wounds can fall apart. They get a higher rate of infection. It's not good, but uh, those are, those are the rarer cases in general. I think we covered all the stuff we needed to cover about being ready for surgery. Just be smart, be sensible don't do new stuff. Don't try new things. It's not time to try the keto diet. No, (laughs) I I don't like in general, but you know, some people love it. Um, It's not the time to start fasting. It's not the time to start anything kooky. You want to really keep your diet centralized and be smart. And then just the day before surgery, do not pack your abdomen with a bunch of crap. No. And please don't. (laughs) Other thing I say is, Get to your goal weight before surgery, but don't do any crazy fad diets in the month or two leading up to surgery. Because what I've seen happen is patients really try and get skinny before surgery. So they can have a really great result or because, you know, they can't work out afterwards or whatever. And then they have their liposuction and their tummy tuck or whatever. 
And then they gained back 10 pounds because they used some crazy fat diet that wasn't natural to get them to that result. And now they're upset because now they're 10 pounds heavier after plastic surgery. And it's just, it's a bummer for everyone. That is a bummer. And it does happen all the time. All the time. And then the other thing, since we're on that vein, I think I've said this before, I had this sweet spot for post-op photos and it's three months because at three months, practically all post-operative swelling is gone. So you have your final surgical results. And most importantly, most people haven't gained the weight back. If I wait till six months, about 50% of my patients have started to regain their weight that they had lost before surgery. And it, it's unfortunate because you can see it in the photos. So Ugh, you had plastic surgery, you had liposuction, you had a tummy tuck, you had whatever. And then you get a little bit cocky, a little bit too comfortable thinking that you can sort of eat a little bit more because you're already skinny now, but it doesn't work that way. Cause if you take in more calories than you expend, you're going to gain weight and then you're going to be unsatisfied and you're come back and say, why didn't you do more liposuction? Well, Let's look at your three months. Let's look at your six months. And you can see that, unfortunately, there is some weight gain there. So don't get too excited and eat too much more than you normally should after your body contouring surgery, because now you're all of a sudden skinny and look great because you, you can regain the weight. Well, I think we've kind of hit a lot of the highlights, Dr. Avella. We could obviously talk about nutrition for hours upon end, and especially for each specific situation and each patient. But uh, please do discuss this with your surgeon. It's a huge, huge issue in terms of wound healing and getting through the operation. But again, be sensible, be smart, and don't do anything different and don't depart from your norm in order to have plastic surgery. You agree? So, so you're telling patients they should use common sense. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. I kidding. knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to come back around and you're going to put that in my face. That's how it goes, isn't it? Just saying. <laughs> so use your common sense. And of course, keep listening to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. Thanks for listening to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. If you want to reach Dr. Ravello or myself, we're available for consultations. We can also be reached through the websites. Dr. Ravello, what's your website? My website is RovelloPlasticSurgery.com. And the phone number to reach us here in the office is 310-954-1355. And I do want to mention Rock Spa, which is the sponsor, truly the financial backer of this podcast. And Rock Spa is the Medispa that's located both in Newport Beach and Beverly Hills, providing Botox, fillers, lasers, microneedling, esthetician services like hydrofacials. We have incredible people. They do great stuff. And I highly recommend taking a look at the websites, rockspanewportbeach.com or rockspabeverlyhills.com. All the information is also on my website, drcoward.com. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 
96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.